your deliberation and your planning and the intention behind the steps that you're taking at a systematic level come through loud and clear. How have your district staff responded to the implementation of collaborative response? The district staff, um, I think they've, uh, so one of the things I like uh, being a member of a team, I've always um, valued, uh, uh, you know, uh, team sports and, uh, you know, uh, education is a team sport. Leadership is a team sport. As somebody once said, you know, uh, the, uh, it's not so long ago that, um, you know, uh, leadership was described as this um, individualistic, heroic um, activity done by one person, you know, um, and that used to, that's an old fashioned way of describing leadership. Leadership is, is not that at all. And yes, uh, you know, it's important for somebody to have charisma and to be able to uh, gather a following behind him or her. But really, uh, the best example of leadership is when you uh, distribute the, uh, uh, your leadership influences to others so that they themselves can become effective and important leaders across people and context in their own sites. So one of the things that uh, collaborative we've done with collaborative response, we've moved it forward at the division level to say this is going to be our vehicle of choice uh, for change leadership. This is going to be the way that we get to our destination. And Leithwood talked about the importance of academic press, that one of the you know, uh, leaders in the system, we have three roles to perform. And they're very clear, the research says, one, leaders, whether you're at the systems level or, 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 uh, or school level, but I'll stay with the systems level, we have to set direction. The second major priority is we have to develop people, the PDPs. And the third major priority is to develop the organization where you set direction through your structures, processes, routines, and expectations. You put a strong PD plan in place then align with your priorities uh, and that are supported by those structures. And then if you grow the people within the organization, you then by default, you grow the organization. So really there's only two things, set direction and develop people. And in the process of developing people, you develop the organization. So the academic press piece was a notion that we brought to bear to say, look, what does academic press mean? It means a focus on the core academic areas, literacy and numeracy. That's why parents bring their children to school. They want them to become functionally literate and numerate. And when they are, anything is possible. Uh, we talked about instructional time. We talked about, you know, uh, engaged time versus time, how much time is lost within a school. We talked about student absenteeism, mental health and wellness and behavior. That really and truly, if you look at the triangle, and I know that's not the model that's now used, but staying with that triangle for a moment, students who are at the top of the triangle from a behavioral perspective are almost always at the top of the triangle from an academic perspective as well. So we talked about this academic press piece and um, I must, and, and we've zeroed in with staff and they are, they have bought in in a very significant kind of way, in my view, which is why I think, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier, uh, you know, and you asked a question about the, the continual of supports. We didn't have to pull and drag people through that. There was a desire to want to do that because it was seen as an important structure um, that will help uh, give administrators traction as they embrace change and move it forward in their jurisdiction. The PD template that I mentioned earlier, we, we took it to our team. They, you know, um, uh, gave us feedback. We tweaked it. They were excited about it. We took it to administrators a couple of weeks ago 
And we could have run the risk of, um, of principals saying, my God, things are becoming pretty uh, top uh, heavy here, heavy handed and prescriptive. Uh, or we could have um, um, gotten the uh, reaction that, wow, this is fantastic. So we moved that forward, did a one hour session and the feedback that came back from all of the groups was 100% positive, elated, saying this is fantastic. This takes a major load off my plate. This is wonderful. I'm so excited about this. And it was like I said to each group when I uh, joined in into the uh, virtual meetings, I said, you know, the intention of this document wasn't to say at 10.05, you blink your left eye, 10.40, you sneeze and rub your nose. And at 11.15, you take something out of your, uh, your, your back pocket. It wasn't intended to be prescriptive in that way, but to set up structures so that there's an, uh, uh, you know, it, it, things unfold automatically. And so you have more brain power, more executive function than to do the things that are necessary to answer that third question. What do we do when we find out students are struggling with what it is that they're supposed to be learning? And so we've had some really good uh, division buy-in uh, at, the, at, the, at the division level. We spent some time as well making the connection between collaborative response and professional growth plans. Professional growth plans, they're required. So why don't we turn them into something beyond the compliance document? You have to do them. Why don't we make meaning out of them? Why don't we turn them into a professional diary so that each year you take notes of the things you did. I did two collaborative response sessions, went to the symposium, uh, did something in the Mighty Peace Conference. And now at the end of the year, you actually have a portfolio of the journey and professional development you did during the year. Furthermore, as a leader, why wouldn't we say to all of our team, we need you to have a goal in your professional growth plan to become more functionally familiar with collaborative response as the vehicle to be more impactful in helping children learn at higher levels. And now you have everybody on staff with a common goal. And I know here in Alberta, you can't mandate that. In a former jurisdiction, we could. We could say to everybody, you can have three or four or five goals in your plan, but here one must be to become assessment literate, which was one reason why we had major gains in assessment literacy because everybody had it as a goal. But there are ways and means to build a culture whereby people see that buy-in. So we've done that both at a division level and we're moving it through at, at a school-based level. I did mention earlier, we have the literacy, and I just hold these up here now, we have a literacy and numeracy framework hot off the press. These are really excellent organizational structures that are going to be immensely useful for uh, administrators, for brand new teachers, and yes, the seasoned teacher who, uh, you know, may be a little bit resistant to change or maybe a bit jaded because a lot of the promise of changes in the past uh, didn't unfold, partly because one of the major issues with change is that it, it does take a lot of work, as collaborative response does. So there's a tendency to look for greener pastures. So, uh, you know, um, a colleague of mine once said that the educational landscape is filled with, a, a, um, you know, as two meters thick with the calcified remains of wonderful initiatives that had great promise, but they died because people aborted them prematurely. And so it's why we've said uh, to our team at the division level, folks, you're going to get tired of hearing about collaborative response because it is not going away. We are in this for a decade and or longer, and we're going to be in it for as long as we've recultured. And that's the commitment. So the people who were, who were of the view because of past experiences, well, don't invest a lot of time into this because another, another group of people will come along and it will be something different. Our commitment through, and we're anchoring this now, like in our strategic plan, we're anchoring collaborative response in it. So if Jeff Thompson leaves next year and uh, you know goes off into retirement, 
the three-year plan is still there. The focus on literacy and numeracy is still there. And the only way you can have all students literate and numerate and in, a, in, a, in a, an, an inclusive culture where there's all out differentiated instruction and assessment is to have, a, have it anchored for more permanently. So we're putting structures in place at the division level that do exactly that. It's a deliberate all out effort to anchor collaborative response in the psychic of every teacher. And yes, that requires philosophical realignment. As some of the research says, it requires, it's, it's an identity shift for people. And that's why it's so difficult. You used to do things one way. You thought it was the best way forward. Now somebody's come along and saying that it needs to be done a different way and you need to be convinced. So you're either going to be, uh, most people are going to be sort of a bit, you know, stay at home. No, I'm going to continue to do my thing. Some people resist. And then there are people who all out are saboteurs. They don't want the initiative to go, in, to go ahead and they're going to do some other things. Uh, anyway, and that's Philip Slesky's work, by the way, as you probably know. So we've been building a culture with our team elite and I here. And at a division level, if you were to talk to somebody about collaborative response now, they'll, they'll list off a litany of things that we've done and that we're now still doing. Uh, about uh, with uh, you know our work uh, in ensuring differentiated instruction and assessment, uh, ensuring that the TQS competencies are anchored in that work, and so uh, you know uh, the notion of differentiating instruction uh, and assessment so that we have a fully inclusionary system. Well, that's anchored in the TQS, and so really and truly, teaching is about helping to ensure we empower those students. Um, who are going to struggle even with our help to be more successful. The high flyers are going to fly high anyway. And if we, and, and you know what? There's nothing wrong with taking credit for the high flyers as long as you take the responsibility for those who struggle. That's a key message. Yes, the kid who's going to get 99% or 100, even if I tried to, even if I tried to give them misconceptions to throw them off, they'll go and research and say, no, the teacher was not right there and they'll get 99 or 100. And we should be proud of those graduates, but we need to be equally proud of the responsibility we take for the kids who will struggle right through schooling. But struggling through schooling doesn't mean they can't be successful because our effort is to move them to the next notch and the next notch and the next notch. And they get to grade 12 and they're operating three grade levels below. But by golly, that's reading at a grade nine level. They, they're functionally literate and can go on and do anything. It's about moving them along. And so we have put those structures in place, a lot of them at the division level and more to come. And we do need to fine, fine tune some of that. So I mentioned earlier, our division level response to intervention for a school that's all out struggling. We have some more work to do on that as well. Jeff, you talked about school leaders buying into the connection to the three-year ed plan and the appreciation for the processes and structures that you've put into place for them and that they're happy with the work that you're doing. How are you finding the response from the remainder of school staff with the focus on collaborative response and the academic press and all these other pieces that are driving success for all students? Highly effective leaders have an ability to identify the leadership strengths that people have and to make sure then that you put people in within the system in, uh, in leadership um, um, areas or give them tasks that you know they're going to be successful with. So the distribution of leadership is all about that. So we've built that culture with administrators. And so we're trying to get the message to them that, look, this is about us empowering you so that you can go back and empower your leaders within the school, both formal and informal, to move things forward. And so what I'd uh, say is that we're on a journey there. I think, you know, most of the, if not all of our, I'll say this, all of our administrators have moved substantially 
with regard to their views about knowledge of and commitment to collaborative response. They've all moved significantly. I mentioned earlier, like any group of people, there are, uh, you know, some administrators will need, continue to need additional supports. We all need supports. It's going to be different for each person, just like students in a classroom. As we move down to the school level, I think it's fair to say that we would, we will still have some um, uh, misunderstanding about uh, aspects of collaborative response, perhaps. We may still have some people who, uh, I, I won't say we have any saboteurs anymore, like people who just are going to go all out to prevent it from happening. But uh, I say we might have some people who are a bit cautious and resistant, particularly, you know, we have teachers um, in Div 1, Div 2, Div 3, Div 4, and then we have EAs with different roles. So the entire collective staff, do they all see collaborative response? through the same lens? No, they don't. Do they all have the same common understanding right now? I would say no, probably not. But that's a part of our continued work. And so, uh, but I would say that the response overall, I would have to say is very positive, uh, very upbeat. I'm seeing more and more and more uh, evidence of teachers uh, zeroing in wanted to try different strategies and approaches to help um, ensure that students will be successful. I do have to say that at the division level, our division level staff who interface daily with teachers are playing a very critical role. So I'll give you uh, two examples. So I'll give you an example from my colleague, Alita Shop, where our iCoaches spend a lot of time in classrooms helping um, uh, you know, iCoaches or teachers uh, to uh, get a better grasp on what would constitute, you know, what is universal instruction? What is uh, that classroom support uh, intervention tier two uh, piece? What does that look like? And uh, offering up advice to say, you know, well, it's really too early to say that that didn't work. You really now need to allow, allow two more weeks for that to really kick in. And you might prematurely be shifting a student from tier two to tier three. That working togetherness that all we're all on the same team, we're on the same journey, that culture is being built and slowly but surely, I think we're moving people forward in that area. I'll come to uh, uh, an example in, in the shop with the team that I work most closely with or the sub team that I work with. So we have one of our, uh, our, our program uh, coordinator for indigenous education. She takes the report card results um, from semester one and flags all of those indig indigenous, self-declared indigenous learners who are in the yellow zone and then does a deep dive of the data to find out their story, why they're in the yellow zone, the red zone as well, but sometimes the red zone is a child who might have attended uh, three days out of 50. So not that that's not important, unimportant, but I, you know, Curtis speaks to a piece in the book about, uh, you know, zeroing in on the kids that with that thrust of effort, we can move them forward and we'll get that bump. So she'll zero in with the school, meet with the school administration and talk about these students and profile them and say, here are some of the strategies I'd like for you to work with your teacher on. She'll have meetings with teachers and those teachers will come on board, put the strategies in place. And then in, at the end of the semester, those same students are profiled. And, and amazingly, we've seen massive shifts, you know, say 10 students in a school in the yellow zone at the end of the semester, eight have moved to the green and or nine have moved to the green and one has almost you know has made some big gains and two students from the red have moved up and so people are starting to get that buy-in they're seeing that gee when we do deliberately zero in on students and identify what their needs are and then go to the the, the toolbox to pick out strategies that we think might work 
And if they don't, here's five more that possibly will work that yes, it's a lot of work, but eventually it, it makes a huge difference for students. We, we, we turned our lives around and that is becoming motivational. So I don't want to send the message that, you know, we've arrived and it's now on autopilot. I would, to use the, um, uh, the, the analogy about changes like, uh, you know, uh, uh, I guess trying to break the rust on a wheel that's stuck. Uh, you know, you start off by everybody having to push to break the rust to get it to make uh, one, uh, uh, John Collins going, going from, from good to great. Uh, you know, I'm not saying that it's at the stage where you just have to have one person spinning the wheel now because it's so automatic. But what I am saying is that we, we are, we've moved beyond the stage where everybody on staff has to go count one, two, three and give a big push to try to break the rust on the wheel, that the wheel is spinning and it's you know, ever so slowly spinning more and more and more. And I don't think we have uh, saboteurs trying to throw grist in amongst the wheel and then to try to uh, bring it to a halt. I don't even think we have resistors who are sort of when you're not looking, pulling back on the hand. I think we have some people who still might not be pushing their all. But everybody is getting caught up in the wind associated with that that revolution of the wheel of change here called collaborative response. And some people have been, you know, all out right from the get go, the, the you know the the trailblazers. And it's because of their efforts at the school level and the division level that we are making gains. And uh, you know, we're two to three years off, be, uh, in my view, before we see the true true impact or see student achievement results go going up substanti substantially. But we are absolutely on the right road here. And, uh, you know, we might have to do a few detours along the way because of washed up bridges and so on. But what is crystal clear is the destination that we've charted out for everybody. And slowly but surely, we're getting the buy-in there. And, uh, you know, I, I was reminded that um, last year when the, the diploma exams were uh, canceled, we had two or three teachers say, oh man, what a rotten time for the exam, the, uh, the patch to be canceled. We actually had teachers saying they couldn't wait to administer the patch because of how confident they felt that their students would do because of a very substantial amount of intervention that's being done from the division level, working with teachers at the school level with a common focus and common purpose called collaborative response. You've talked a little bit about the challenges around reculturalization and bringing everybody up to speed so that we're all moving in the same direction. What supports have been beneficial as a district in implementing collaborative response? So I think uh, I'd say right from the get-go, um, you know, when I came on board here, um, the, the organization had gone through a couple of challenges, a lot of, a lot of changeover, the unfortunate and un, untimely passing of a, um, a person who was in my role uh, uh, back in 2015, who had actually be, begun some work with Curtis around collaborative response, or at least engage in some conversations. But the organization has certainly put a lot of time and effort into PLCs. There's still some PLCs around now, and they serve a very useful purpose. And in fact, you know, if they were focusing in on that question three, um, we'd say, okay, now the PLC has actually flipped to the collaborative response. Uh, they, they, we've done, they had also done some important work around response to intervention and at one of the kickoffs <clears throat> a couple of years of years before i arrived uh they actually had two or three presenters to do some work there so those were sort of um um precursors to setting things up in a more optimal kind of way for collaborative response to actually move forward and i do believe that there were a couple of schools that uh, had reached out to curtis and he may have actually engaged in some conversation with them so there was a, a, a sort of a, a readiness amongst some 
pockets within the organization that helped to make it, you know, help to us to move forward. So I wasn't surprised at all when in June, 2018, Curtis came on, came in LinkedIn and did his uh, half hour, 40 minute, uh, you know, conversation about what, what collaborative response was all about. I wasn't surprised when we finished this the conversation, we had 100% buy-in to say, yes, let's move there. Um, the other thing is that, uh, you know, I do believe we would not be as far along as we are had we not maintained a very deliberate and focused partnership with Jigsaw Learning. So if we had done a kickoff uh, with Jigsaw Learning in August 2018, and let's say if it was exactly as good as it turned out to be at that time, and we didn't do anything else uh, with Jigsaw Learning uh, all the, 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 the following year, and even if we had another kickoff with Jigsaw Learning the next uh, August and we didn't do anything in between, we wouldn't have seen the gains that we've seen. So we believe that our partnership with uh, Jigsaw Learning has been a critical element in building uh, you know, the capacity amongst our leaders that we want. Um, uh, you know, we're all learning. Uh, I'm continuing to wrap my head around collaborative response, uh, as is my team. And by the way, I, 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 another point I'll make here, all of my team that I work closely with, they were all given a copy of this book. And as a part of their growth plan, I did say with some risk, I suppose, I said, I want you to have one of your goals, I want it to be a deepened understanding of collaborative response. So they all were required to read that book. And I don't read a lot of books when I can avoid it. But as you can see, I've read this book uh, through and I've got all kinds of little sticky, little sticky tabs in it with little reminders. So I wanted them to build that knowledge themselves. That then augmenting, augmented with the, the, uh, the partnership with Curtis uh, has been quite helpful. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we actually embedded collaborative response in our three-year plan. So it's impossible for any school in our jurisdiction now to meaningfully address the strategies in their three-year education plan without actually embracing collaborative response, unless they say, okay, we're going to now go back and do an updated version of the PLC, which I'd say, well, yeah, that's what a PLC, uh, that's what collaborative response is, PLC 2.0. So if you update collaborative response, uh, sorry, professional learning communities, so that they do focus on that question three, then, you know, that's really one and the same. Uh, so we were very deliberate about that to set up that structure uh, so that uh, we could get that carry forward. I would say as well that having um, uh, the time that we have with our administrators, seven days, nine days, actually we have with them a year, that builds team, that builds a focus, that creates a, a division level school-based leadership partnership that's quite helpful. That builds a uh, you know relationship whereby administrators feel that you know what um, uh, I can take some risk in this environment. If I try something for good purpose and it doesn't uh, work, you know it's not the end of the world. Just like the kid who tries to uh, attempt something in a learning episode and it fails miserably, okay, you learn from that uh, from your failures and move forward. So we've also. Um, uh, basically, not only had um, uh, principals and vice principals involved in the collaborative response work, but we expanded the teams in schools. So that's been quite helpful as well. So in larger schools come through these collaborative response meetings with Curtis with four people, principal, vice principal, and two other people. So now you have that nucleus of four people. These four people become the change agents back in the school. 
and it just helps the school administrators to distribute those leadership functions to, to, the, to those two people. And now the four of them can do breakout sessions and move forward. So I see those, um, uh, you know, supports uh, have been, uh, you know, have been very beneficial. They continue partnering with Curtis, um, uh, you know, uh, and other members of the team, uh, you know, yourself included for the dossier training and so on have all been an important part of our recipe. Well, in time, in time, we hope to get to a place where um, the collaborative response uh, personnel or the jigsaw learning personnel uh, would be like the uh, the analogy I used, the Jim Collins's analogy I used a little earlier that, you know, it's just a, uh, uh, you know, a, a timely push of the wheel from time to time and we're more reliant. Um, but I see that as a, as, a, as a ways off because we are new now moving in new layers. So for example, we are doing more deliberate PD with our uh, EAs. I mentioned that a little earlier. Next year, we're introducing a new approach whereby um, the literacy and numeracy leads from Jigsaw You're Learning will partner with uh, members of my team here, the literacy and numeracy per personnel, and together we'll visit some schools and do some deep diving, unpacking, informing, engaging in professional conversation to build that capacity at the school level and to turn them on to in a more uh, significant kind of way to collaborative response as the way forward. And uh, yeah, so it's been messy, a little bit messy. Uh, you know, some people, if they were in a, uh, you know, uh, a drone above and uh, capturing all of the episodes, they might say, gee, they, they look like they're confused and probably we have been from time to time, but it's a, it's sort of an organized chaos approach um, that's trying to uh, establish a, a, a somewhat gentle culture, but a culture that's focused on, you know, we're here for business. We, uh, we have a, the most important job in a society to do to educate our young people. And we have to take that seriously. So they might've seen us as, uh, you know, starting and stopping, but we're still moving forward. We're heading down the road here. And, uh, uh, you know, we, again, we wouldn't be where we are if it wasn't for uh, some structures we have in place that we've meshed and we've meshed with and partnered with Curtis and team to move some things forward here. Some of our staff, by the way, just another little note, uh, based on the recognition that we've really zeroed in on this as our focus, We've had some staff um, participating in the uh, the collaborative response symposium and have come back and shared at an administrators association meetings some of their learning and they've said you know it really helped them fine tune uh, their their knowledge base and they're in an even better position to move forward now. We also have I just mentioned one other thing a cohort of twenty one. Uh, uh, staff who are doing a master of education degree from uh, the University of Alberta. And uh, they're now seven courses in, so they're about 60% through. Many of them are principals and vice principals. Several of them have become administrators since uh, they've joined on. I had the good fortune and pleasure of teaching them one course last spring. Um, uh, and, uh, and certainly that was a, a, a real lot of fun and I've been remained connected with a lot of them. So they keep reaching out to me, but, uh, uh, I, in my course, and I know Paul taught a course, we were deliberate about, um, or I was for sure. And I think Paul may have been wrapping in collaborative response as a vehicle for change and impressing upon them the importance of being change adept versus change inept and, uh, you know, being a change agent. 
and uh, what, what it means to be a change agent. And I'm pleased to say that at least one person, maybe two, are looking at studying uh, change models, models for change um, that, will, that are deemed effective in um, reculturing schools. And uh, obviously collaborative response is going to be a part of that person's work and perhaps capstone paper. So that's good to, to know. So Jeff, as you're continuing with those highlights, are there any other celebrations around the implementation of collaborative response that you want to make sure that get shared? Yeah, I think that the, uh, you know, where we were and where we are, like in the four years since I've been here, like the focus on, uh, on achievement and literacy and numeracy is the talk of the town. <laughs> it's, it's really what the conversation is now about. Not that we're ignoring social studies and science. I'm a former trained science person. We're not ignoring those other subjects, but what we're saying is that the keys to success for all of those other disciplines is literacy and numeracy. So I would say that I'm really happy about that. I've already mentioned you know, the buy-in that uh, I believe uh, has been unfolding within our schools, you know, uh, there's a lot less kickback to our, uh, our benchmark assessments now. When we talk about common assessments, uh, when we talk about scope and sequence, you know, two years ago, scope and sequence and the conversation would have been that, you know, that's teacher autonomy and you can't do that. Uh, that's not the same anymore. One person said, you know, you might hear that. And I said, yes, I know. I see that as a bit of a red herring because, um, you know, what teachers have autonomy over are, are all the strategies and approaches that they decide they're going to use and how they set their classroom up. They don't have autonomy over what gets taught and they can may not have autonomy over the sequencing of when it gets taught. That's, you know, that's a prerogative of a, a jurisdiction if you feel that that's what's required to move things forward. But I think that there's been, there've been much to, uh, there's been lots to uh, celebrate there. You know, I mentioned our literacy and numeracy frameworks and the positive, positive buy-in of administrators there. They're saying this is excellent. They're gonna take that back to their staff. Uh, they see this as a way of really focusing in. We basically said, look, we're trying to build a culture where we focus in on a smaller number of things so that we are much more effective. Um, a guy, Larry Ainsworth wrote a book one time called The Power Standards. And he said, you know, the power standards are those outcomes that meet four, uh, three criteria, one, there are things you need to know to be successful at the next grade level. Two, things you need to know to be successful on large scale assessments like PATS and DIPS. And three, things you need to know because they have implications for broader life circumstances. And if you characterize your, put your outcomes in those three areas and zero in, that's the sweet spot of instruction that you really need to zero in on. We're having a lot more conversations about that and I'm very happy uh, uh, about that piece of it. Uh, we have built, I think, more capacity amongst our administrators around um, disaggregating data. They, uh, you know, uh, you know, realize that, you know what, it is important to be able to tell whether or not uh, males are outperforming females or females are underperforming males or, or, or outperforming males in certain areas. It is important to know who's struggling in your school. Who are they? Who, do, who are their moms and dads? Do they have siblings in the school? So in the book um, that Curtis and company wrote, you know, personalizing the data. Years ago, we used to do that when we, we had students at risk and we had principals say, you know, we used to say to principals at the time, you need to, it's got to go beyond just numbers. You, you, people need to know that, uh, you know, Fred Flintstone, uh, is struggling and I taught his brother two years ago and I'm teaching a sister now and their mom and dad owns the local store. It brings a different meaning to the data. So 
I think we've really grown in leaps and bounds there. And I don't, I think that's a, uh, the result of the collaborative response work that Curtis has been doing. And we've tried to support that in some fashions. And uh, I just, I'm happy about the overall uh, attitude about academic press. Uh, I think that probably three or four years ago or two years ago, perhaps not everybody heard about what academic press is. I will say to you that if you, uh, it's my view, if you uh, consult our administrators now in our system and ask them if they've heard about academic press, they're probably going to chuckle and say, oh yes, we've heard about academic press. And do, what does it mean? And how does it translate into what they do at the school level? Um, you'll get a good earful uh, about that uh, in a positive way, I do believe. A long time ago, I read a, a, a book in, um, from DeFore and Company that talked about, you know, if we're going to uh, really put our money where our mouths are and say success for all, like Peace River School Division, and I've said in some meetings, you know, right now I'm going to change our mission. It's really success for most or many. And if we're going to say success for all, we got to get beyond um, ensuring that those who won the genetic lottery are those that are successful. And as Curtis pointed in his book, beyond the ones who won the education lottery, i.e. they've been with excellent teachers three years in a row, we gotta, gotta, gotta get beyond all of that and say that it's success for all. Even children who have major, major challenges in their learning or major challenges in their lives can still be academically successful and socially, emotionally successful and successful in, in the other domains with that deliberate focus on collaborative response. And so we're getting there. And um, you know, I'm very happy to be partnering with uh, collaborative response um, in the way that we have been and, uh, you know, it is a wonderful, wonderful model um, of change, a lot of hard work, but it's, it's sustained and deliberate. It's, as I've said before, it's, you know, it's basically strategic, it's systematic, it becomes systemic, and it really becomes that shared, sustained approach of focusing in on a small number of things and doing it well. And, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to the next... Uh, um, stand of time that I'm here, but I, I feel very happy that the organization has taken a giant step forward to better uh, respond to the educational needs of a wide range of children in the system. Jeff, I know as an assistant superintendent, your time is incredibly valuable. So I thank you for taking time out of your day to be here with us and share the story of Peace River School Division. And I wish you all of the best on the journey that you're on. And I can tell that you are committed and deliberate in the approaches that you're taking. So thank you for allowing me to be involved in just the tiny little piece that I get to be involved in, but from on behalf of our team for including us and giving us the privilege of learning alongside you. Thank you for the opportunity. And uh, it was, uh, yeah, my pleasure.